Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 91 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. As many of you know, a declining number of Americans have direct contact with those who serve in the military, and the older generations of combat veterans are passing away at an increasingly rapid rate. My guest today is Emily Carley of the Witness to War Foundation, an organization that's capturing the stories of combat veterans in order to preserve those stories for the future. In World War II, Korea, Vietnam, there were letters being written. These guys were keeping documentation of what they were doing, combat logs, diaries that they were keeping while they were in the service. And there's a lot of written documentation. Um, and what we're seeing with the current generation is there's not a lot of that. They're not writing letters home. They're making phone calls. Um, they're Skyping and things like that. And so we think that capturing these interviews on tape is critically important to capturing these stories because there's not going to be as much written documentation. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Once again, and as always, we absolutely appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn about veteran mental health. Uh, you know, the main effort of this show and uh, and the Headspace and Timing blog is to change the way that we think and talk about federal mental health. You know, that doesn't mean just changing how we think about mental health treatment, but also changing how we think and talk about veterans specifically. You've heard me say on the show before that every veteran wants their story told, but they don't know how to tell it. My guest today, Emily Carley, is the director of the Witness to War Foundation, an organization that does exactly that, helps veterans tell their stories so those that haven't served are able to know what it was like. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Um, uh, it's a little early in Colorado. It's not quite as early in uh, in Atlanta, but uh, still early on a Tuesday morning. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, before we get into the Witness to War Foundation, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and sort of how you came to this work. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Um, so I have um, been working with the Witness to War Foundation um, since around 2006, but I actually started out working for our founder's um, main business, which is a consulting firm based out of Atlanta. He started a consulting firm around the same time that he started Witness to War, and I came on board to help out with marketing um, in that capacity. And I found out about Witness to War, and I started assisting him with setting up interviews. And then a few years after that, I started doing interviews myself, and then eventually moved into running the Witness to War Foundation full-time. And um, I actually am the granddaughter of a two-war vet. My grandfather served in World War II and Korea. 
And when I started working for the consulting firm, which is um, Insight Sourcing Group, my grandfather actually came in and did an interview with our founder, Tom Beatty, um, around his service. And so I got more and more interested in these veteran stories. It was very personal to me um, with my grandfather being able to share what he had done. Um, and so I got very interested in hearing the stories of other veterans and helping doing helping to do those interviews and just found it was kind of my calling. And so here we are, um, 13 years later, conducting interviews and uh, all over the country and posting those interviews to our website. You know, I, I think that uh, it, it's great to be able to capture these stories. You know, we, we hear that the uh, World War II generation uh, is passing. I actually attended an event uh, last year in which it was the first time uh, it was a gathering of the United Veterans Committee, an organization here in Colorado, uh, and it was the first time that anyone can remember that we didn't have any World War II members, uh, service members in the audience. Um, and, and then even, uh, you know, the, the Korean War veterans and now Vietnam veterans, there's not a Vietnam veteran younger than 65. So we know that the older generations of veterans are passing away and, and capturing their stories are important. Exactly. So we started out with our main focus being around the World War II veterans. Um, as you noted, due to their age and the uh, rapid rate at which we are losing these stories, we thought that needed to be our main focus. So the majority of our original interviews were World War II veterans. And then we were also doing Korean War veterans at the same time. And we have moved more and more into the Vietnam generation. And that's probably where the bulk of our interviews come from these days. We do a lot of Vietnam reunions. And like I mentioned, we're traveling all over the country capturing these interviews. Um, we're trying to get to the World War II veterans that are still with us. But unfortunately, we're finding that there are not a lot of them that are available to share their stories anymore. Right. And, and seeing that, uh, I think that when you and I first connected and I went on to, um, you know, witness to war.org, um, one of the first videos on there is, is George Forrest and, and me being, uh, definitely not a, a, a historic historian by any means, but, uh, a student at least, um, George Forrest was, uh, the captain in the ghost in, in the, the second half of Hal Moore, um, Hal Moore's book, uh, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Um, George Forrest, uh, it played a big role. I, I think had his own chapter there. And, and so, and as I went in and I started looking at a lot of the videos, you have a lot of, um, a lot of stories, uh, that I, I guess people, aren't familiar with, uh, you know, that the general public aren't familiar with, but those of us who might have served in the military and studied some of this, that uh, you've captured some pretty interesting stories from some pretty interesting veterans. Exactly. So we do um, a lot of interviews with vets that you may have heard of, like you mentioned, George Forrest. And then we're also looking for the vets that haven't had an opportunity to tell their stories that, you know, maybe people don't even know what they did in the war. The the older gentleman that lives in a small town who doesn't have the outlet um, to share his story. So we're looking for all types of people. But as you noted, a lot of the general public doesn't know any of these stories. Um, so that's what we're trying to do is get this information out there, uh, make sure that the general public understands what we're asking of people when we send them to war. I think for a lot of people now, war is so far away from them in their minds. Um, they may not even know anybody that served. Um, so the purpose of what we're doing is to try to get that information into the hands of people who don't have firsthand experience with war and combat service. And we can hopefully give people a better sense of of what people go through when we send them off to combat and better understanding of just the amount of sacrifice that these people are going through in order for us to have all of the freedoms that we do and have all of the things that we enjoy and try to bring it a little bit closer to home to people who don't have that firsthand um, experience. 
And we were lucky enough a few years ago to be contacted by the Vietnam War Commemoration Project that the Department of Defense is running. And that's actually how we got connected to George Forrest. And we have been traveling around the country with the Department of Defense program, conducting a lot of interviews with these Vietnam veterans. Um, That's a huge goal right now um, for them around the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War. And we've been assisting with collecting a lot of that content, which has been really interesting. Right. And, and that's really, um, it, it's really great, obviously, to have been doing this for so long and then to be contacted and even recognized uh, by the DOD as an organization that, uh, that has done this well. And, and so public facing, right? We're, we're capturing these stories to try to, um, like you said, help individuals who have never served understand what it's like. But I can imagine, as I'd mentioned earlier on, that the veterans want their stories to be told. I, as a mental health counselor, I recognize that a lot of veterans, I, I call it the, the paradox of the veteran story, we want people to know what our story is, but we don't either don't want to tell them or we don't know how to tell them. So I can imagine that this is beneficial for the veterans as well. Absolutely. What we hope is that, that that this is a cathartic experience for the veterans to be able to share this um, these stories that they may have never told anyone, these stories that they have been holding inside for you know sometimes over fifty years. Um, and you're right, a lot of people don't know how to go about sharing this story, or they're too humble to reach out and ask somebody to do an interview with them, even a family member. So we find that a lot of people, once we contact them, they're fully willing to do this, and they're excited and they're on board, but they've never been asked. Nobody's ever asked them to share their story, and they haven't felt the comfort level to ask to be interviewed, as I mentioned. So I think a lot of people find this a good experience to be able to share with their families, to get it out in the open, to get things out there that they haven't discussed, that they've been holding inside. And we hope that you know this is a positive experience for them, and especially the Vietnam veterans who didn't have a lot of opportunity to talk about what they did. Um, overseas. And when they came back and they couldn't share these experiences and they had to hold a lot of things inside, we're hoping that we can be that outlet for them to finally be able to share these experiences, get the thanks that they deserve and be fully recognized um, for their service. Um, and so that's that's our hope for the veteran and that they can leave a lasting legacy for their families. Um, I know for me personally, as I mentioned, my grandfather was a two-war vet. He was in a, a tank outfit in World War II, saw very heavy combat, and then was in Korea um, after he got married and he was expecting a baby. He was sent overseas to the Korean War. And I remember as a child understanding that he had been through heavy combat and knowing that there were stories, but we were not supposed to talk about it. I was always under the understanding that this was a very difficult thing for him to recall. And so it wasn't until he was later in his life and I was working with this organization that we sat down and did an interview with him. And I can't even begin to describe how grateful I am to have that information because it was not something that we talked about freely when I was growing up. And he was finally able to get this information out there and document it. And I think it's just so important for the vets and their families um, to have when they pass on, as well as the general public. No, that that's amazing. I, I had a similar experience. Um, my My stepfather's father, um, none of us, I didn't know that he was in the military until after, um, uh, I think I was serving in the 82nd Airborne Division in the late 90s and I'd gone back and, and we were visiting and, uh, he and I were sitting in, and it was actually just he and I in the living room sitting there. Um, the rest of the family was, you know, out through the rest of the house and, and then he starts talking about how he was, um, in France switching road signs or switching signs to the towns, you know, and, and, you know, he was laughing, he was making a joke about, you know, all the fun because he was asking me, I'd been um, in Germany before and where I was and things like that. And then I, I sort of paused and I said, wait a minute, you were, you were in France after D-Day. And he was like, yeah, you know, and I don't really talk about it and things like that. And, and, it, and, you know, he had been my grandfather, you know, at that point, you know, 15, 16 years. And, 
and a lot of those, um, a lot of the World War II veterans, and again, as you said, the Korean War veterans, um, they don't tell their family about it. And when they do, it's just sort of the funny stories and the pass by. And it's, it's really critical to be able to capture those stories. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so uh, you bring up a good point too. Um, you know, we interview combat veterans. That is our focus around the combat that experience. But we're not always looking for the gory combat stories. We want to understand the training that they went through, the thoughts and the feelings that they were having, knowing they were going overseas, um, and obviously what happened when they were there. But it's not just the movements of the units, but the sights, the sounds, the smells, the feelings, and the humorous stories. Um, one of the things that we talk about a lot here at Witness to War is, you know, we're sending 18, 19, 20-year-old kids away from the away from home, excuse me, for the first time. Um especially in World War II, we we're talking about a lot of young men who had never left their hometowns and we're sending them to Europe and the Pacific and there are humorous experiences that are dotted in there as well. And we want to capture that. We want to understand the human aspect of war as well. What were they thinking? What were some of the things that they did in their downtime? Um, and those experiences are important to capture as well so that we have the full scope of the combat veteran and what they were thinking and what they were doing. And then we also talk about what happened when they returned home. Um, and that's very different, as you know, from one generation to the next. The World War II generation came home and they got back to work and, you know, they didn't really talk about their service a whole lot, but they were considered heroes um, by the nation. And so that was a much different experience, obviously, than the Vietnam veterans when they returned home. And so we try to get into all of that. What was the difference? for these veterans? What was it like when you came home? What, what did you go through? And, and trying to capture that full, that full, you know, experience of what they were doing from start to finish and not just the combat. Right. And, and you, you also bring up a very good point is uh, when we send uh, young men and young women off to war, um, you know, my 18 year old self, just like any other 18 year old self is, um, we're kind of knuckleheads and we kind of uh, do dumb stuff uh, when we're 18. Uh, and our brains aren't fully developed. My father was a uh, Vietnam veteran and um, he and I were having a conversation. Again, a very similar um, a discussion. I didn't really talk about, he didn't really talk about his service um, until even after I had deployed in, in uh, 2006. Um, but uh, he said the difference between um, me and him, um, in our combat experiences that, that he went to war with an 18 year old brain, uh, and I went to war with a 32 year old brain because I'd been in the army, uh, for 10, 11 years before, uh, 9-11 had happened. And so just the, the difference between going to war as a young person and going to war, um, as, as say an older leader, um, do those differences come out in the, um, in the interviews? Yes, they do. I mean, we get in interviews from people who went overseas when they were just out of high school. And obviously that experience is different from the veteran who had a family um, by the time they were going overseas. And we see that a lot, too, with, with people who were multi-war vets, obviously, the difference between when they first um, went into the service and then when they maybe went back as an older leader, um, obviously those experiences are different and just the insights that they have. And we have a lot of people that talk about the leadership that they had when they were in the service and the people that led them and the lessons that they learned from those people and watching those people, um, lessons they learned for people from people who had already been overseas and how important that was. Um, and one of the other things that we just um, started was our educational focus. So our mission since our inception in 2001 has always been three part, which was preserve, honor, and educate. So we've done a lot around the preservation and the honor piece, but we had not explored a lot around the educational focus. And so we recently launched the section of the site around education. And so this was specifically created so, so that educators could use the content in the classroom setting. It's a little more age appropriate. It covers a wide variety of interviews that we've done around specific battles and experiences. But I think it's so important to capture the wide range of things that veterans go through or went through in war because these lessons are so relevant for 
the um, the students and the younger generation, and they can learn a lot from that. And I think, you know, those humorous experiences are important. These ex- types of experiences help the students and the younger generation relate to these veterans. Um, and I think those kinds of things are important to capture and to help them fully understand that war is not just what you see in the movies. It's not just all the fighting. There's a lot of other things that go into it. And I think that capturing that wide range of memories is incredibly important. No, I, I absolutely agree. And especially, uh, I think for, for even the current conflicts. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, you started out with, um, World War II and then Korean War veterans. And, and those were typically the two war and even three war. I actually knew a, um, a three war veteran. Uh, he had, uh, um, he was in Korea, then in Vietnam and then his had been recalled to active duty. He served stateside during the Gulf War. Um, and, and those were very linear, uh, but even the, the stories of, uh, today's conflicts, you know, I could, um, or, or am, uh, considered a, a two war veteran having served in both the Iraq and Afghanistan theaters. Um, uh, but it's really just, it's simultaneous. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's not linear the way it was. Are you seeing a difference, um, between the, the older generations of veterans um, as they're recalling their stories to the younger generation of veterans that you're starting to capture? Yes, we definitely do. Um, We find that in World War II, um, especially with that group, there is oftentimes not a lot of detail around where they were um, and the exact objective sometimes. You know, a lot of times they were just um, fulfilling a goal. And moving from one town to the next, not always with all the information. A lot of them were privates and, you know, they had not been in the service before. And we see now with a lot of our interviews with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, we get a lot more officers. They know what the objective is. They know where they are. They know the wider implications of the actions that they're participating in. Um, Obviously, news is more readily available. They're more connected to what's going on back home. And so the experiences um, are different. They're a little more detailed um, in terms of the actual movements of the units and things like that. Um, But you still get the aspects that come with sending younger people off to war. You know, it's a lot of the same kind of things. Um, the emotions and the the humorous experiences and things like that, I think, span across generations. And so I think the the type of war, obviously, that they're fighting and the amount of information that they they can recall, just obviously due to these being more recent stories, is um, you know more detailed. But I think just the type of war and the type of um, information that was. Uh, I'm probably making this more confusing than it needs to be. Um, But I think that we have a more informed generation now that's serving. And so those stories differ a lot from what we have gotten from World War II vets in the past. And I think it's interesting to see that transition. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, when uh, someone says, you know, I was in Bastogne, well, that's a, a you know, big area. There's lots of villages and things like that. And, you know, whether they were with, uh, you know, on ground, the 82nd, the 101st, or if they were, you know, in, in, you know, seventh army or what have you, but just that I was there in that region or, um, whereas I'm, as you're talking and I'm recalling, um, you know, the actual bases and locations and, and places where, you know, where action happened for me, um, that it is much more, detailed. Um, I wonder though, if you get cross-generational, um, stories, um, as I said, my father served in Vietnam. Um, you know, I served in, in Iraq and my younger brother, uh, had, uh, had served in the, the deployment after me in the same area that I was at. My brother and I actually overlapped in, um, in, in Afghanistan, uh, for one of my tours, uh, and and so we hear this thing about the military being a a family um, uh, a family tradition now essentially um, that uh, that there are more military children serving in combat um, than than those that that haven't. Are you seeing that in the the videos that you're the interviews that you're doing? 
We have interviewed a few people, um, father and son, um, and we have seen people, I think I would say more of our Vietnam veterans had fathers who served in World War II. Um, I don't know necessarily about the younger vets that we're interviewing now around Iraq and Afghanistan, if they had parents that served and things like that. But I do recall several veterans who served in Vietnam who had come from World War II vets and recalled that. And that was a reason for them wanting to serve in Vietnam because they wanted to, you know, that was their war and that was their generation. And they wanted to give back like their fathers had done in World War II. Um, And so we see that quite often. And we have interviewed some fathers and sons. um, But unfortunately, with our World War II generation passing, like they have a lot of times we find out that somebody did have a father, a grandfather, or an uncle or somebody who served, but they're unfortunately no longer with us to be able to be interviewed, which is, um, you know, something we would love to have. Sure. And I, and, and you, you talked earlier about, um, you know, capturing the legacy. Um, but, uh, neither of my grandfathers who served during World War II are with us anymore. And, and my father, uh, and one of my uncles who served in Vietnam are no longer with us. Um, I've got two more uncles who served, um, who are, um, but we're not just capturing our own legacy, right? You're, you're capturing the, the legacy of the generations before, right? I mean, these are, these are stories and these are stories that are sort of captured within the, the veteran, uh, and they may tell, you know, their family or not, uh, you know, how it goes. Um, but you're really capturing a legacy of service over the last century, I think. Um, yes. So I, I'm, guess what I would say is that, you know, one of the things that is important to us is to have this cross section. So we have never shifted our focus to one particular group. If, um, like I said, we started out doing World War II interviews because we thought those were so crucial to get because of the age of the veterans. But now we're interviewing anybody from any war, any branch of service, um, any age, because we want to make sure that we capture these stories, regardless of when these vets serve. We want to make sure we have this good cross-section of vets um, and these wide-ranging experiences. And anybody that served in combat deserves to have their story preserved. And we don't always know how long somebody will be with us. We recently figured out that we were losing our Vietnam vets more rapidly than we had anticipated that we would. You know, you think you have more time to capture these interviews. And then we realized that that time is passing by very quickly. Um, As I mentioned, we started in 2001 and the Vietnam veterans were, you know, still in their fifties at that point. And now they're in their, you know, they're getting into their seventies and some of them into their eighties. And so we're seeing that we are, we need to capture these stories more quickly than we originally had been. And so we are willing to interview anybody that's willing to share their story with us. No, I, I absolutely recognize that too. My, um, my father is, uh, is here in Colorado um, at uh, Fort Logan National Cemetery. And I'm struck by, um, as I go to visit uh, uh, his marker, that, that he is surrounded by Vietnam veterans. And, and that, I think, for me was the time that, that I realized that this generation is passing away. Um, my father was 69, still relatively young um, uh, when he passed away. And, and so, it, yes, this generation is uh, passing away sooner. The Vietnam generation is passing away sooner. Um, and then, as you said, and I look on the uh, witness2war.org website, and, and like you said, you're not just limiting to uh, only um, uh, Vietnam or, or you know, post 9-11, um, but you have um, uh, stories from Somalia, you know, in the mid-90s and, and Grenada and Panama in the 80s and, and things like that. Um, those veterans and we, the Cold War veterans, and even the the Gulf War, the Desert Storm veterans, for my generation, are feeling like the Korean War veterans um, in in the Forgotten War, um, the small conflict in between the two larger ones. Um, so I, I I personally appreciate the fact that you're branching out and capturing all of these stories. Absolutely. We love to get those stories because there are so many fewer veterans in those categories. And those stories, 
like you said, aren't being told um, by a lot of people. So we love to get those stories, Panama, Grenada, as you mentioned, Somalia. If we can capture those stories, um, you know, we talk about that all the time around here. It's not just the large scale wars. It's any conflict that American troops would have been involved in. Um, we we want to capture all of that. Um, and one thing I will say about the the unique um, the unique opportunity we have now with the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans is because the, you know we've we've got fresher memories. We've got a way to capture this information in a more timely manner. We don't have to deal with you know decades going by of memories fading. We can get that quickly, and we can get that um, captured as soon as they get out of the service, which I think is very important and, you know, and making sure that we get the full scope of their, their memories captured in a timely manner. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot around here recently is the fact that in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, there were letters being written. These guys were keeping documentation of what they were doing, combat logs, diaries that they were keeping while they were in the service. And there's a lot of written documentation. Um, and what we're seeing with the current generation is there's not a lot of that. They're not writing letters home. They're making phone calls. Um, they're Skyping and things like that. And so we think that capturing these interviews on tape is critically important to capturing these stories because there's not going to be as much written documentation. Um, and so we're seeing that that is a great area of opportunity to preserve memories. No, that is an excellent point. And uh, now that I think about it, I served in uh, Bosnia, um, which eh, not really war, but, you know, there were people with AKs on the corner and stuff like that. I slept on a cot for a year and there was definitely uh, a danger with the unexploded ordinance. Um, but I, I recall, yes, writing um, letters to my mother and my sister uh, my nephews uh, or, or my cousins, my younger cousins there. Um, but yes, when I went to Iraq in 06 and then, you know, Afghanistan twice and even North Africa, it, it, it I didn't, right? You know, we emailed, like you said, um, you know, we, we Skyped or we called when we could or, or didn't. If anything, you know, maybe we blogged, right? But, but we didn't, but that was very few and far between. And so that historical record, um, that, uh, that used to exist. And, and even going back, that's, that's how we know about, uh, you know, a combat in the past and, and letters from the Civil War and the Napoleonic Wars and, and things like that. That, that's something that I hadn't considered is that future lack of correspondence, um, is going to impact how future generations view these current conflicts. Yeah, I think it's um, an interesting study to look at from a from a military perspective. Records are, you know, a lot better than they used to be around what's going on and where the units are. And, you know, obviously with the media, we have a lot more information at our fingertips around the military actions. But it's that personal experience that's going away. Um I know that my family has an entire suitcase full of letters that my grandfather wrote to my grandmother from Korea and when he was in Japan. And we have all of that documentation. Um, we may not know a whole lot about the military aspect of what he was doing, but we have the personal aspect and we can research, you know, the unit movements and things like that. But it's that personal part that we won't be able to get from anybody else besides the veterans themselves. And I just think it's critically important that we capture as much of that as we can, because we're not going to be able to go back and research that. I can go back and look at my grandfather's unit history from World War II and see where he was, but I can't ask him what was going on that day. You know, I can see that they had a big military action, but I can't find out where he was in that at this point. And so I think those are the types of things that we have to consider a lot when we're doing the interviews is that we may be getting the only record of somebody's service um, at a particular time that there ever will be. And this is where it goes into the psychological aspect, because as you said, you're not just capturing, you know, the, the facts of who, what, when, where, right. You know, we can go back and look at desert storm and we can see, you know, the, the, the light infantry divisions were on the left flank in the speed bump in the desert, but we don't know what it was like for that private first class 
to be out there on the end of, of the, the line in, in Saudi Arabia going over the, um, going over the border. And so being able to capture how people thought and felt so cognitive and emotionally outside of just the simple facts of it, um, that's, I'm getting a sense of, of what you're getting through these videos that you're capturing. Exactly. It's understanding, as I mentioned before, you know, it's understanding what conflict is like outside of the media and seeing it on the news. And it's so far removed for a lot of people. Um, but it's obviously very personal for the people who are in these actions. And I can't watch a story on the news and fully understand what's going on. But if I watch an interview with somebody, I can feel that. Um, we interviewed a gentleman who was an Indianapolis survivor, and he spent four days in the water, shark-infested waters. You know, you've, you've heard the story. Um, and I could feel that when I interviewed him. It was an incredibly emotional experience for me and obviously for him. And it it makes me better understand stories when I hear them in the news or when I watch a movie or a historical um, documentary about something. My husband and I have been watching the Medal of Honor series on Netflix. And I can recall interviews that we've done and think about when they talk about a location, I think, oh, I know somebody that was there. And I remember what they were thinking and how that felt. And it makes it a lot more personal for me when I watch these things. And I hope that other people will have that same experience. You know, and, and that's something that's uh, in you not having served and your family's service um, being um, you know, as, as perhaps far away as your, your grandfather's, uh, we talk a lot about the military civilian divide, right? You know, the, the, the shrinking number of, um, of Americans who serve in the military. Um, and that again, we are a very, almost an insular kind of, um, uh, community. Uh, it, it definitely a different culture and everything else. Uh, but we talk about this, this divide and this gap. We veterans need to step into the gap, but you also, having never served yourself, are stepping into the gap and others um, like you are stepping into the gap to be able to try to bridge this divide. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it, it's just it's a very important for people to understand what our military members are doing on a daily basis. Um, you know, they're out there doing this for us and we need to understand what that is. And when we talk about World War II, everybody knew somebody that served in World War II. It was very personal for a lot of people. The nation was involved in wartime service from manufacturing to selling war bonds. It was, it was a very much a team effort. And we had a civilian you know, civilian armed forces. These were people who left the farms or left their jobs or left school to go and serve. And I think there's a disconnect for a lot of people. Now, I, I know people that served obviously through, through my work here and, and some people I know personally, but I think a lot of people don't. Um, that's very far removed for a lot of people. And I think, and I hope that, our stories can help people better understand this um, type of service, even if they don't know anybody personally. And so I'm curious to hear uh, how that has been, you know, how has, how has the project um, been received by, by perhaps those who had never served? Um, have you got any feedback on that? Yes, I think people find it very interesting, especially once they get into the weeds of the site and start watching the stories. Um, we've gotten great feedback from people. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, too, that are trying to find information about what their grandfathers and fathers may have gone through who have passed away already. So we have had people contact us who didn't know somebody in their family um, from a personal perspective because this veteran maybe had passed away. And they've used our site to try to help piece that together. Where was he serving? What was he doing? And comparing that to somebody who we interviewed maybe from the same unit or the same location um, and helping them better understand. So we get great response that way. Uh, then our consulting firm, um, we have a lot of people who don't have any connection 
to the service, um, but they have gotten very involved with Witness to War and what we're doing and have become very interested in these stories when they previously maybe hadn't been. And I think the educational component of our website that we recently launched will hopefully be incredibly well received. It actually already has been. We're still getting the word out about it, but everybody that's come across it has loved what we're doing because they don't have a lot of resources to bring into the classroom around firsthand accounts. You know, they've got textbooks and they've got videos that they can watch, but having somebody that actually served in a particular battle or can recall a particular experience um, has been incredibly well received. Teachers are super excited about being able to use this material and having something that the students can relate to. Um, and I think that um, people really like having this information at their fingertips. They don't have to go interview anybody themselves. They don't have to download anything. They don't have to go and search for it. It's all right here. And it's free to use. Everything on the site is free to view. Um, it's all um categorized. So if you only want to see something by somebody who served in the Army Air Corps in World War II in the Pacific, you can get to that type of experience and find what you're looking for. And I think people really like that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at that portion of the website now, and, and you're right, it is, um, it is very, it's definitely amazing. Um, it just the whole project that you're doing is amazing, but how it appears to be set up, uh, I'm of course thinking of, um, you know, <laughs> making connections and, and people that I know, um, who are, are trying to preserve the legacy. And, and that's essentially what you're doing is preserve, preserve the legacy, but also educating the public. There is another aspect that I'm, I'm curious about in, in one of the things that, um, has been changing is the role of women in combat. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certain that, uh, in, in not having looked through a lot of them, not a lot of, uh, women from World War II and Viet, uh, Korea, maybe some more from Vietnam, but definitely more, um, from the more recent conflicts. Um, is there a concerted effort or, or has there been, um, any, anything that you have seen for witness to war, specifically looking at women in combat? Yes, um, you bring up a really good point. So when we were really focused on World War II interviews, the majority of the female interviews that we got um, there were women who were nurses. We have seen as we've shifted, we obviously had a lot of um, uh, nurses in Vietnam, and so we've gotten some of those firsthand accounts. And we are now seeing more women who served in combat zones that we're able to interview. And we have done some of those, and we are definitely planning to do more. We've talked to some women veteran organizations around collecting a lot more of those interviews. And me personally, as a female, I'm very excited about seeing some of those stories online. I think a lot of people have this misconception that women don't serve in combat capacities. Um, and even if a woman is not on the front lines all the time, they're serving in combat zones. We have interviewed women who have been severely injured um, overseas, serving in areas where combat was very prevalent. And so I think that's a, a really good opportunity for us to educate people on the role of women in service as well. No, I, I think that's great. Uh, I served in an occupational specialty um, that was uh, both male and female throughout my entire military career. Uh, and the argument against women in combat uh, ended long ago, but it definitely ended when my driver dismounted behind me in Afghanistan to make sure I didn't get shot in the back. Um, so don't, I am not someone who says that, uh, that, that women, um, don't have the ability to serve in combat because I've seen it and I've experienced it. And some of the, uh, some of the, the, my best soldiers, of course, um, uh, male or female really didn't matter, but, uh, but I, I, it is interesting to see. And I started to see some of that as I was looking through some of the videos, um, about, um, the, the stories just about women in combat are going to shift. So I, I really appreciate that you're doing that as well. Well, thank you. We, we definitely want to make sure that we're telling the full scope of the combat veteran story, not people from just one area or one demographic or one type of background. We want to make sure that we have a great cross-section of people who represent the American people and the American vet. Um, and so 
we are still looking for veterans. We look for them all over the country. Um, we travel all over the country. I think we visited something like 18 states last year conducting interviews. So we are still very actively looking for these interviews. We want to find people who don't know about us and haven't had the chance to share their stories and let them know we're here and we have this outlet to provide them um, and they can share these stories and make sure that these memories aren't lost. No, this is uh, this is outstanding, and I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and, and hopefully, this will be able to spread the word and be able to get more people um, understanding what Witness to War uh, is and what you do. And, and so, if um, and you mentioned that you travel around, how would a veteran get involved with um, with Witness to War to be able to share their story? Well, they can contact us through our website. They can email me directly um, or they can email our interviewer who does all of the traveling around to capture these. Um, there's no charge to participate. Um, we do like to try to group veterans in a particular area. Um, so if somebody contacts us in an area where maybe we don't have vets already listed, if they could help us pull together groups of veterans, friends of theirs, if they're in an assisted living community and they know other people that might like to participate, that is a huge help. Um, if there's anybody listening who knows vets and maybe is not a veteran themselves um, but can help us set up interview days, that's great, too. We're pretty flexible about how quickly we can get to people. Um, so people can either email me or call us or whatever works for them. We have a form on the website, um, and they can use that as well. Yes, and I'll definitely make sure that uh, all of those links uh, are in the show notes to be able to to contact. Does Witness to War have uh, social media anywhere else um, uh, besides witnesstowar.org that people can find you? Yes, we do. The bulk of our content will be on Facebook and Twitter. You can see upcoming locations where we will be, upcoming reunions that we will be at. Um, we do a lot of reunions around the country so um, that we can capture veterans from similar units. They can contact us that way. Um, we will show occasionally featured interviews that we've done um, and things like that. So we do a lot of social media. So I would encourage people to follow us on there. That's where you will get the most up-to-date content. No, that's absolutely great. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about Witness to War, Emily. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I always love to talk about what we're doing and hopefully reach more vets. That's the goal. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. I'm glad I was able to connect with Emily in order to have a great conversation. While some of you may be wondering what an organization that films veterans telling their stories has to do with mental health, this goes into the category of things that are beyond just PTSD and TBI. When we talk about veteran mental health and wellness, we need to understand the entire comprehensive aspect of the veteran mindset. The Witness to War Foundation gives veterans an opportunity to tell their story, and the inability to tell that story, or even the unwillingness to do so, is a significant barrier to wellness for many veterans. One of the things that struck me during this conversation, and you heard it at the beginning, was the idea that veterans of the current era are no longer leaving the legacy artifacts that will help future generations understand what we did and how we felt about it. We're so often living in the current moment that we don't tend to think of the impact for future generations. As Emily mentioned in the show, current era veterans aren't writing letters that can be preserved for future generations. What we know about all of the conflicts from the Revolutionary War all the way up to Vietnam was not just from official military documents or media coverage, but from the words of the service members themselves. That likely started to shift with the Persian Gulf War in the early 90s, but it certainly has an impact on the global war on terror. So check out the Witness the War Foundation and the great work that they're doing to preserve the stories and legacy of generations of combat veterans. You won't find your time wasted by the inspirational stories on the website. Go to witnesstowar.org to check out what they're doing. Thanks for taking the time to check us out. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to federalmentalhealth.com forward slash 091. While you're there, share the link to the show with someone that you think may enjoy it. One of the challenges in changing the way that we think and talk about federal mental health is spreading the word. You can subscribe on a bunch of different podcast players like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. Check them out at federalmentalhealth.com forward slash platforms. 
I'd like to give a shout out to several colleagues who have left a review on iTunes. Stan Lake of Catching Creation, veteran mental health advocate and Vietnam veteran Paul A. Dillon, and combat veteran and clinical mental health counselor Amy Otzel have all taken the time to write a review. It would be great if you could do that too. An honest rating and review will help spread the word about what we're doing. Leaving a review on any platform will help increase the visibility of the show. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track Not Alone from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode, and until then, remember veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-created mini-me's Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability Looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.